Lord Jesus, we thank you so much once again that you long to speak to us. And we pray that these familiar words that we've heard many times before, that you will speak through them and touch us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been told that there is a Chinese proverb. He who asks, asks is a fool for five minutes, but he who does not ask remains a fool forever. Seems very wise to me that you should ask questions when you need to. Asking right questions is actually really important, and it's actually a difficult thing to do. Jesus' disciples asked a lot of questions, and some of them seem really silly to us, um, but it's because they asked these questions that we have the answers that we have. And today's text asks three important questions, and they give us really the basics of the Christian faith. So the first question, it's right a bit right before our text, but if you can turn to chapter 13, verse 36, so it's right before our text, where Peter asks the first question. He says there, Lord, where are you going? Which is an important question, for where Jesus is going is intimately related to where we will go at the end of our death. Where, and I think another way to ask the question really is, where are we going after death? Lord, where are you going? As Jesus, um, there are good reasons why Peter is asking this question. As Jesus was heading into Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples twice that he was going to go away, that he was going to die repeatedly in chapter 12 and, and chapter 13. And the thought of Jesus going away would have troubled the disciples. Well, they had spent three and a half years with Jesus. And while following Jesus, I'm sure that there are many, many uh, thoughts that went through their minds. But one of them is, remember, hope of glory. <laughs> remember in uh, Matthew chapter, uh, in, in Matthew, sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, asking Jesus, whether they could sit at the right and, uh, right and left hand of, of, of Christ when he comes to reign again. Maybe they thought that if Jesus, if they followed Jesus, they will be seated at the, at the seat of glory. Perhaps they were just fearful for their safety. If Jesus is going to go away, if Jesus is going to be captured and killed, then maybe his disciples would be captured and killed as well. Perhaps Peter is just troubled because, well, Jesus just foretold the denial that would come. Well, chapter 14, verse 1, is where Jesus starts answering that question. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go away, but trust me. Trust in God and trust in me. Some 700 years before, as Assyria, the Babylon, and then Persia invaded Israel and took over, Jesus said, I mean, God said the same thing to Israelites. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my, my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts and your thoughts. 
something of that is going on in Jesus' mind as well. The disciples are going to go through something that they won't understand. Their teacher, their Lord, is going to be arrested. They're going to be, he's going to be mocked, whipped, humiliated, and be killed. Everything that they had done for three and a half years with Jesus will seem like a mockery to them as Jesus hangs on the cross, as he's deemed cursed. So he says, trust me, trust God, and trust me. His way of salvation will not be one of triumph of power and might. He will draw all people to himself by giving up his power, by hanging on the cross. He will become cursed, cursed, and die on the cross, a sinner's death. And remember, Paul later reflects on that wisdom. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross might seem like foolishness, but it is the display of God's great strength to save His people. The open, the grips of death, and pry open the doors of Hades that we might taste God's salvation. Trust God, trust also in me, he says. And dying on the cross looks like foolishness, but Jesus gives the reason why he is dying. He dies, he says, to prepare for our homes, prepare a place for us. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going, to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm sure this is a question that many, many, everybody has asked. Is there life after death? What happens after life? I mean, after life, after death. And Jesus' answer is definitive. He says, there is a place. There is a place in my Father's house. There is afterlife. Otherwise, he says, I would have told you. There is life after death. There is hope of the future. And Jesus told us this. Us this. But he's going to go there to prepare this place for us. And this prep- preparation isn't a whole new construction, construction project in heaven. You see, the homes are actually already there. In my father's house are many rooms. A better translation might be that in my father's house, in my father's great big estate, there are many homes. I think the Hong Kong translation might, might be in a big apartment, in a big apartment block, in my father's big apartment block, there are many, many apartments <laughs> where you can live. Jesus is going to the father's house to prepare a home for us where we can live. And a home is different than a, a house, isn't it? Home is a, where, you, where you have relationships. Home is where you have your father and mother and, 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 and the warmth, all of that there. Jesus uh, is promising homes for us where we can live and there will be fulfilling relationships. There will be lasting relationships there and you'll never be lonely. And these homes have always been there But the way to get there had been blocked. The homes have always been there. 
And, and it's, it's, the preparation is not preparation of construction or even tidy, tidying up the rooms. What he's saying is he's going to go away. He's going to die on the cross. And his death will, will, will open the way for us to get to those homes. The road that leads to life has been open, will be open as his death removes the barrier of the way, the barrier of sin, death, and judgment. You see, we are sinful, and we cannot actually be at home with the Holy God unless those things have been taken care of. We won't feel at home with the holy and righteous God unless that way is cleared, unless sin, death, and judgment is removed well, one of the great things about living in England for me um, was the opportunity to travel. Europe was so close. Um, so I was delighted, delighted when my friends uh, contacted me and, and they said they wanted to come and visit, but maybe not visit England, but Paris, uh, France. And so I was really delighted. So we all met together, uh, three of us met together in Paris, and we drove down towards uh, Aix-en-Provence, uh, the, the southern France there. And we're filled with anticipation because we booked this great place. It's an 18th century, century uh, chateau um, there. And it, it didn't disappoint when we got there. There was this big uh, uh, gate there, and we had to use the intercom there. And, and the, the gate opened, and we went through this little orchard forest area, and, and um, it, it, it led to the house uh, there, and, and, uh, which is uh, at the top of this big hill overlooking this, had this great view. All three of us were really excited, and the host then came out. She and her husband came out, and she looked at us, and she frowned. The lady who did most of the talking told us that they had received our payments late, and that they didn't have a room for us. I can't tell you how frustrated that made me. We were in a foreign country. We had driven four to five hours to get there. We're all tired. We don't even speak the language. We didn't know where, to, where else to go. We desperately wanted to stay there, but there was no room. There was no room for us. We are travelers. We are, we are sojourners on earth as well. We're here for a time. And we'll have, head over to a different place. Is your home ready? Do you know that your place has been secured? Do you have a place to go? I am going there to prepare a home for you, is what Jesus says. Now the second question the natural question that followed is asked by Thomas in verse 5. The place we has, has been prepared, but then how do we get there? So Thomas asks in verse, five, in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? That's another basic question that people ask. If heaven is there, then how do we get there? Christian answer is, then Christ answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. 
There's plenty of I in that answer, but none of, the, none of that I concerns you or me or his disciples. It's I am the way. Jesus is the way. Although most religions and most people who follow a religion, or maybe most people out there who sort of have a vague idea of heaven, think that the way of getting to heaven is, has everything to do with doing good things or being good. But that has nothing to do with our reaching these homes. Being good is not the way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ went through the gate of death. He reached his father's house and prepared these homes for us to live in. And we can be confident, not because we've lived our lives better than maybe I don't know, 80% of the people out there, 90. Maybe you think you're 99 percentile there. Not because you lived a better life than others, but because Christ lived a perfect life, a holy life, but died a sinner's death and made a way for us. I am the way, Jesus says. And what's offensive, I think, to many people is not just not the fact that Jesus says, I am the way, but what he says next, that he's the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying here is that all other ways, all other efforts to get to heaven is, ends up in dead end, ends up nowhere. You might walk on these other roads with enthusiasm, with sincere belief, that it, with great hope that you'll get there. But they all end in dead ends. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. Remember Peter saying in his great sermon at the Pentecost, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we're saved. Acts 4.12. You see, all religions are not the same. I'm sure you've heard of the famous Indian story of the blind men and the elephants. There are six blind men and the elephant. So the, the, the blind men goes in, the six of them go in. And the first one touches the stomach of the elephant and goes, oh, the elephant must be like a wall. The second touch, uh, touches its tusk and said that the beast was like a spear, a spear. The third touched its nose and said, oh, the elephant must be like a snake. The fourth touched its legs and go, oh, it must be like a tree. And the fifth touched its ears and said, oh, the elephant must be like a, like a fan. And the sixth one touched its tail and concluded that elephant is like a rope. The Englishman, um, John Godfrey Sachs, drew his conclusion in his poem about this. He says, So often theology wars, the disputants, I mean, rail on it in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prayed about an elephant no one has seen. No one has seen God, but each sense what their God is like and conclude that that is what God is like. And many, like Sachs, do not commit themselves to a religion or to Christianity, but say that actually all those roads lead to Christ, or lead to God, lead to the same God. Christianity 
has some truth, but so does Islam and Hinduism and Chinese folk religions, Buddhism and Shintoism. For no one has seen God. In some ways, there's something right about that. God is ineffable. I mean, he is in some ways indescribable fully. I mean, we can describe him, but not fully. We're also finite. We can't understand infinite things. But not only that, as Christians, we believe that we are sinful. We can't, sinful people cannot really completely understand God. There's something right about that. Our visions are obstructed. But the claims of Christianity is not the claims of blind men. Our basis of saying that Christianity offers the whole truth of God and Jesus' only way to God are not the claims of blind men. If anything, it's more like the claims of the elephant. If the elephant spoke to the blind people and said, I am like this, it centers around the claims of God himself. They're not our beliefs about God, but they're Jesus's. And Jesus' way is not superior to other religions or other ethics because it, is, it, 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 it has higher ethics or champions values that resonate in us. It's not like that. Jesus is the only way precisely because that is what the elephant said. That's what God says. God tells us. Christians don't say this because we wish it to be true. I mean, in some ways, I think I wish that everybody, all the other religions were true. We don't claim that Christianity is the only way and Jesus is the only way because we wish it to be. We claim that to, 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 as our confession of faith because that's what Jesus told us. He himself said, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have a, if you have a problem with this, then you have a problem with Jesus, not Christians. This is what he says. But to say that Jesus is the only way doesn't imply that all the other religions are completely rubbish, that there is nothing good in them, that they're completely devoid of values. There are some truths out there in other religions, and a lot of people, when they think about philosophy or religion in other ways, come to the conclusion that there must be God, that they need a Savior. But that does not preclude the Bible's judgment that the conscience of everyone, even the most devoted followers of other religions, convicts them of guilt. The Bible tells us that they can't prepare their eternal homes by themselves, that they are in need of Christ's atonement and forgiveness. And the Bible tells us that that is freeing, that is good news, not just for some people, but for everyone. The Bible tells us that the worship of other gods than Jesus Christ is also idolatry and at the heart, at its heart, cannot offer salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At the same time, I want to say that this claim is one of the most inclusive claims as well. Regardless of one's nationality, I'm Korean, many of you are Chinese, Filipinos, um, British, I think Kiwis and New Zealand, uh, Australians are here, unfortunately. No. Um, 
regardless of one's nationality, regardless of one's location in time, 2,000 years ago, 100 years ago, now, present, regardless of your social standings, whether you're uh, rich or poor, economic background or, or, or education level, and most astonishingly, regardless of your personal holiness, whether you're a modern-day saint or whether you're a wretched sinner, you can meet God personally and have a home with the Holy God through Jesus Christ. And if you think about this church, and if you, if you think about churches around the world, my, my, one of my uh, friends said, churches are uh, statistical improbability. It shouldn't happen. People like you and me, people with all kinds of background, uh, nationality, education level, whatever, shouldn't come together each week and not just have a superficial sort of relationship, but call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Have this deep fellowship and love for one another. It shouldn't happen. But it happens because Jesus is the way. Because Jesus is um, salvation. Jesus alone is the way, but He is the way for everyone. But as we have seen in the Gospel of John, and again and again, there are those among us, and as, as there, are, uh, there were in Jesus' days, who did not quite believe it. So look to verse 7. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He says, you have just seen him. You do know him. From, my, from this day on, you know the Father. You have seen him, Jesus says. But a lot of people hear things, see and hear things, but do not see it at all. So Philip asks, in the, in, the, in the following verse, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's either that Philip didn't hear Jesus, or he doesn't quite believe it. But his plea is one that we've all said, isn't it? Show yourself, God, then I will believe you. How do I know that you are real? It articulates the longing of humanity across time to see and know the living God. But Philip doesn't understand that no one actually can see God. Not directly. It's beyond the human capacity to see and understand God. Moses, even, was denied when he asked to see God himself. But in Christ... Philip had before him the full embodiment of God in human form, in a form that we can all understand. See, Jesus wasn't simply, once again, a guide, a religious teacher. He's not means to a greater end. He's not a way to a destination. He is the way. He is the goal. He is the end. He is God himself. And if you think about it, Jesus' words are not words of a great man. His words are way too egocentric. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Muhammad says he's God's prophet, or the only prophet. 
But he's one. He, he, he's a prophet. He, he wouldn't say he's ever. He wouldn't ever claim to be God. Buddha is a teacher and a guide who showed a way of life. But Jesus is none of these. He does not show a way to God, but he declares he is the he is the way to the Father. He doesn't merely teach us the truth. He says he is the truth. He doesn't represent one avenue to life. He says he is the life. So Jesus pleads with Philip in verse 11. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Jesus is one with God. The Son is in the Father and the Father is in him. It's not simple unity of will, but it is unity of being. They are one. They are in one another. And if you ask, God, show yourself. The answer is, God has shown himself fully. Rather than sending a description of who God is, a guide that could go wrong, Jesus himself came. He became incarnate. He walked on earth. If you wanted to see God, if you want to see God, you have to see Christ. You have to see the Son. If you want to see if God cares for the world, you look at how Jesus cares for the world. If you want to see how God cares for the rich and the poor, look to Jesus. If you want to see God, how God loves you, look to Christ. And look especially to the cross. God has already shown himself fully to the world. And there are enough evidence for Christ's historical um, life, death, and the resurrection. I want to go back to that story of our arrival to that, that chateau. At that French chateau, they actually, we, we pleaded with them. And the owner told us that they could give us one room for one night. There was some wiggle room there. But the thing is, the last judgment won't be so flexible. But to those who trust him, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I am the way and the truth and the life.